Welcome to a special edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching interviews and conversations. My goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and actions on the part of the listener. My prayer is that he who has an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We will be, we will be dealing with 1 Corinthians in this podcast today, particularly 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the the truths of Scripture are to be lived out in community, which, you, as you heard me before, I've been doing some things on the church. So when I say lived out in community, I mean in the context of the church. God wants to be seen. One way he chooses to be seen, and when I say seen, I mean in terms of his character. One way he chooses to be seen is in community. That's the church. Matthew five fourteen, where a city set on a hill that can't be hid with the light of the world. The key here is not just salvation, but revelation. God wants to bring into being a people, not just to worship him, but to be like him. God doesn't want us to just worship him. He wants to bring about a people who are like him in terms of his character, who he is. Love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, etc. Those are things that God wants us to be, to bring us into. But there's a paradox, or a conundrum if you want to say. Maybe a little bit of both. Because on the one hand, the church means the ecclesia, the sanctified ones, the ones who have been called out by God to live for him, right? But when you read the scriptures, you find the early church had a lot of problems. And by the way, people are always comparing this to the church now. Oh, the early church this, the early church that. Yes, the early church was powerful. They, had, they did a lot of great exploits. They did some awesome things. But if you look at the epistles that Paul wrote, you see they had the same problems we still have today. Not much different in terms of issues. Now, the charismatic church, the church that had the gifts of the Spirit in full operation, the one that you would say would be the happening church, that church was the Corinthians church. And they got two epistles from Paul because they had all kinds of issues. Uh, it was a very immature church. Now, notice how. Notice what I'm saying here. You can have all the gifts of the Spirit operating in your church, and allegedly the so-called fivefold ministry operating in your church, but, but, still be an immature church. And that was what the Corinthian church was. It was a very immature church, and that's why in the thirteenth chapter, 
Paul talked about when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so to me, the theme of that whole book is to put away childish things. God is, through the Apostle Paul, is calling the church to grow up. You know, what's cute and wonderful in a baby is not cute and wonderful in a grown person. You know, you see babies eating, they make a mess, the food's on their face, it's on the floor, there's more food everywhere except in their stomach. Well, you know, we oh, how cute, you know. But look, when you see a grown man, 30, 40, 50 years old eating like that, you're like, okay, you know, something's not, not right here because he should be able to feed himself without putting more food on the floor than he actually would ingest. And so, it was a very immature church. Now, God called it out to be sanctified and to be saints. But this is the, here's a few of the problems they had. There were factions. Some were of Paul, some were of Apollos, some were of Christ, some were of Cephas, some were, sound familiar? Some are Democrats, some are Republicans, some support Biden, some support Trump, some support this, some support that. You know, some want the Green New Deal, some don't want the Green New Deal. Some doesn't see anything wrong with socialism, some see things that they don't like about socialism. And on and on it goes. Capitalism, some people say it's evil. Some other people say, no, you can sanctify capitalism. On and on it goes. Factions, divisions. The second thing they had wrong with them is carnality. They were a very carnal church, driven by their lower nature. And they were feeding on the milk of the word. There was no real substance. And... Unfortunately, some, I won't say all, but some of our preaching today is just fast food. It's McDonald's. It's, it's Burger King. It's, it's Wendy's. It's something just that it'll tell you, it'll tie you over and it'll keep you living, I suppose. Although too much of that isn't good. But it's junk food. It's not a real set down healthy meal that's home cooked. And a well-balanced meal. And so, for that reason, a lot of saints today are feeding on milk. They don't want things that are substantive. So they'll opt for the exciting and the electrifying. And whether it has substance or not, nobody really cares. But few people today, in my humble opinion will plumb the depths of scripture and just scrape over the surface. And the, a lot of saints are feeding on milk when they shouldn't be. Now, it's one thing, like I said, to feed on milk when you're a baby, to have a baby bottle. But you're 40, 50 years old, and you're still drinking out of a baby bottle, or you're still breastfeeding. Yeah, we got to have a talk, brother. There was jealousy and strife among them. Some were puffed up with pride. You know, because I was, you know, I'm a Paul and I'm Apollos. And that's why Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because I could really see you getting puffed up then. There were a lack of spiritual fathers. There was nobody there to, as a spiritual father, is to give guidance to help bring the church to maturation. You know, it's great to have a church full of young people because, oh my God, they bring so much energy to the service and to the worship. I love it. But a church just full of young people, 
and there's no gray hair, and there's no one there to bring maturity to those individuals, it's not that great, because you, or lack of balance, I should say. Hopefully you have some gray hair, you have some mature people, and the key word is mature, because people can have gray hair and not be mature. There's no fool like an old fool. But hopefully people who have matured in God, who can then help the younger people to grow and to mature in the Lord. But a lack of spiritual fathers, one of the things that they had. There was sexual immorality, including right down to incest. So some crazy stuff going on in there. And <clears throat> even some of the church discipline was out of control. The purpose of church discipline is to save the soul and, and to pur help purge the church. But it can be too severe. And instead of helping the person to grow and helping to purge the church, you actually just make matters worse. Remember in the old days, you know, they don't do it now, but you fell into sin. They just drag, you know, some churches, they would drag you up to the front, make you confess your sin to the whole church. And then they shame you and stick you in the back, you know, until you get yourself together. And a lot of people got damaged through that, under the, particularly women, uh, because a lot of misogyny existed in the church and still exists today. And... Uh, for that reason, a lot of people were damaged in the church uh, under the guise of so-called church discipline. Uh, Christians were suing each other, settling their issues in court. Now, I know sometimes things, because of the limits of reason, sometimes you just got to go to court. But uh, some churches, and this is my opinion again, need to have an internal system to help settle disputes amongst the saints so that hopefully it doesn't have to go to court. But yes, it does happen. But Paul was, I'm pretty sure Paul was saying it was happening at a frequency he didn't really want it to be happening on. And then there was the abuse of the spiritual gifts. And uh, chapter 13 talks about that. And that's where we're going we're gonna to rest for the rest of this uh, podcast. Chapter 13, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. The key is to focus and learn what God is like and reflect on those rather um, to focus on gifts. Gifts are important. We need the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church. I like to see all of them operating in the church. But that does not now mean that um, the church is mature. And so they were... Focus on overemphasis on one thing and not emphasis the three things that actually matter. Faith, hope, and love, which I call the three friends. First Corinthians 13 reads as thus. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have in my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not exist on its own way, it is not 
irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in, at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now I'm going to summarize that whole chapter by simply putting it this way. God gives you no credit for anything not done in love. Period. You don't get any brownies or cookies or anything like that. If it's not motivated by love. And so it's imperative that we understand what God means by love. Because a lot of times we hear words and we think 20th century definition. But what you have to find out is what did God mean when he said love? What was his definition of love? Because it's not like ours. Uh, even God's definition of faith, even God's definition of hope, none of the common definitions that you hear uh, even scratch the surface, particularly on faith. I, I really, we're going to do a whole segment on faith as well. But if we're going to put away childish things based on what I just read there, there's three things you need to, to, to grow up with to help you to mature. And that's faith, hope, and love. Now, I know the Bible says don't despise prophesying. I do not despise prophesying. It's a great gift to the body of church, of, of Christ. Um, you know, it tells you about desiring to prophesy. That's great. That's great. But the scripture says none of that means anything, including martyrdom. You go ahead and lay your life down for Jesus, allegedly. Not done in love. Not done in faith. Not done in hope. Pretty much doesn't mean a whole lot. And so this is what we're going to take a look at. In the next segment, we're going to attempt to define faith, hope, and love, starting with love. Now, I know the standard ideas of when you try to define love, people think it's a three. First, I, I learned it was three. Then I turned out it was four. But since then, having done some more research, I discovered it's six. Now, who knows? Maybe we'll find some more. The first definition of love I'd like to give out is eros. Eros. Which we all know that is from erotic sexual passion. Well, clearly that's not what he's talking about in First Corinthians. Because, you know, it would just create more immorality. Uh, for sure. Then there's philia. Philia. And these are Greek words. Philia deals with deep friendship, a sense of family, where you find these deep friendships. But you can have brotherly or sisterly love for an individual that's not necessarily born part of your family. Um, or you can be cousins that are very close. 
But these are close, friendly relationships where we have deep, meaningful relationships with people. And they if they aren't family, they practically become family. Then the other one is ludus, L-U-D-U-S. And that's a playful love, flirting. You know, so when you see a man and a woman are talking, they're kind of flirting with each other, etc., etc., very playfully. Well, that's lighthearted. It's nothing serious, you know. Um, there's no deep commitment to one another. It's just two people playing around. Then there's pragma, pragma, P-R-A-G-M-A, uh, which is love in marriage. And this type of love in a marriage is where you compromise so the relationship can work, right? You know, I can't, I want to keep my Avengers collection. She wants to get rid of it. We have to make some type of compromise. Maybe I can get a special room. I can keep all my memorabilia here or toss it out, whichever the case may be. So compromises are made. Um, I may want to live in Maine and wife may want to live in Florida. So, you know, they may say, I like the four seasons. I don't want to live in a state which is hot all the time. Well, I'm tired of the cold weather. So you might compromise. You might go to, say, North or South Carolina, for example, somewhere in the middle where the winters are a little bit shorter, but they have. And you don't have to contend with as much snow, etc. But there are changes in the seasons, uh, regardless. So that's the type of love in marriage where we, we, we make compromises. Philashia, number five, Philashia, P-H-I-L-A-U-T-I-A. This is a self-love. Now, there's a bad kind of self-love and there's a good kind of self-love. The bad kind, we all know, is narcissism. And you know the story of the Greek story of narcissists, how he fell in love with his own image in the water until he finally found, fell in and drowned. Uh, in, in because of falling in love with himself. Uh, narcissism, this is the idea of people who just, all they care about is fame and power. They don't care what how they get there. They don't care who they hurt, step over to get there. You know, there are some people who sit around and think, huh, too bad God didn't make two of me. I mean, they're just that into themselves. And so they have this narcissistic uh, thing. That's an unhealthy type of self-love. But there is a healthy self-love, and a healthy self-love gives security in it, it, it gives you security in who you are as a person. People can't fat shame you, criticize your looks or your height or whatever because people I don't care what it is. You're too tall, too short, too long, too black, too white, too dark, too something. But a person that has a healthy self-love lets all that those criticisms go like a, like water off the back of a duck. Not moved by all those criticisms. Like themselves who they are. And this enables you, and by the way, when you like yourself on that in that context, that enables you to be compassionate to others. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, put it this way. All friendly feelings for others are an extension of a man's feelings for himself. All friendly feelings for others are an extension of a man's friendly feelings for himself. You like yourself, you find it easier to like other people. Uh, Jesus put it this way, love others as we love ourselves. So to the degree to which you love yourself is the same degree Christ expects you to love other people. 
as well. If you care about yourself, then you have to care about other people as well. These types of qualities, by the way, go with leaders. If you're the leader of a nation or a country or leader of the military or, uh, you know, leader anywhere, you have to have the type of self-love that makes you concerned about your employees, your soldiers, the, the, the citizens under, under, in your nation or in your state, if you're a governor or whatever. whatever. Uh, the last thing you want is a narcissist because he won't care what happens to any of you. He will lie and make up stuff and tell you anything to stay in power. But in reality, he's only in there for, or in, for himself, he or she, whoever that may be. And then the last one, which everybody's familiar with, is agape love. I like, the, I know a lot of people don't like, some people don't like Finney, but I, I think he got a couple things right. And I like the way he defines love as disinterested benevolence. Selfless love. And uh, C.S. Lewis called it the gift. Called it a gift. That this type of love is a gift. And what, what that love looks like is found in verses 4 to 8 of 1 Corinthians. And by the way, they match the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? I heard one preacher put it this way, and I, I kind of agree with him. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop right there. That's the fruit. You pick the fruit off the tree. It's love. Now, when you open it up, you find all the other things. You, and, and, and 1 Corinthians, I'm about to read it here, tells you. What do you find when you bite into love, to that fruit? You find patience. You find kindness. You find no envy. You find it's not boastful. You find that it's, it's unselfish. It's not my way or the highway. It's not arrogant. And so your maturity should be measured by your ability to show love to others. But that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And then I, in that fruit, in that fruit that you picked off the tree, all those other ingredients fit inside that fruit. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then stop right there. Well, what does love look like? Love looks like it's patient, it's kind. It's not boastful. Is it's unselfish. It's not arrogant. That's what love looks like when you see when you see those things. And that's where God gives us the ability to love. And that's the definition I give of love. Now, all the other loves, when you look at them, they're all based on relationship, how we relate to one another. In the agape love, which is the love God is talking about, this is a love that, that, that God gives to the world, is known as disinterested benevolence. It's love for its own sake. God loves because that's who he is. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, and he had every right to just end creation and destroy everybody. Instead of doing that, what does he do? He saves us. He sends his son to die for us. People who don't deserve it, who are unworthy of it. But he decided to come and get us anyway. Thank you, Jesus. That's what that's the agape love. And that I don't think that's a natural love that we have. I, I don't see myself naturally loving that way. But it's a divine love. And this is one of the things that God gives to us. These are one of the gifts. That's the gift that you really want. 
they says God has attributes that are commutable. And some attributes are not commutable. The ones that are not commutable. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Uh, he's everywhere. Omnipresent. Those attributes can't be communicated. He can't give those to us. Because then we would be him. But then the commutable attributes are his love. His patience, his kindness. Those things God can fill us with. And so part of our sanctifying process is God wants to get us to a place of agape, where we agape one another. I look out for your best interest. You look out for my best interest. Pastor's looking out for this, the church's best interest. Everybody's looking out for the best interest of everybody else, not just ourselves. And that's the agape love that God calls us to. This last and final segment, because this is just a teaser episode, there'll be a lot more said on it. And next we'll do, take a look at faith. But let me say this. When Jesus was asked about the great commandment, Hero Israel, the Shema, Deuteronomy, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And the second is like unto it, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I asked myself the question, I said, how can I love like this? Especially when there are people around me that irritate me, that we don't necessarily want to be around. You know, and sometimes you find yourself saying, well, I don't care if the person does live or die. I know we don't want to admit we have thoughts like that, but thoughts go through your head like, well, you know. And there are people I know that when they die, in my mind, God has to help me. And he has to help you too, because you think the same thing. Good riddance, particularly evil, wicked people, wicked leaders around the world that just were oppressive to their own people. And I, in fact, I remember I posted that one time about a particular leader when he died, and I was like, good riddance. And one of my Christian friends, a sister in the Lord, rebuked me and said, wait a minute now, you know, you shouldn't be rejoicing over the death, even of someone that you don't like. And she was right, so I repented. Um, so, but how do we get there though? How can we, you know, and this is what we have to grapple with as believers. Now, for those of you who are not serious about walking with Jesus properly, then this, my podcast really aren't something you're going to enjoy. I, was, I wasn't going to say it's for you, it's actually for you, it's for everybody. But if you're serious about walking with the Lord, and we got to give some serious thought to some of these things. How can I be more, demonstrate the agape love of God so the world can see him? Because remember, I said, I said God wants the world to see him. When God came down on Sinai to commune with the people, they freaked out. They're like, oh, no, Moses, you go up there and talk to him. We're not doing that. They got scared. They weren't able to commune with God because they weren't in that right standing with him. And then even Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see me and live. I'll show you my hind parts. But he had to hide him in the cleft of the rock. And then God made his glory to pass before him. Now, here's the thing. I've been in services, not in my home church, but in other churches. But I have been in services where 
smoke machines are employed to smoke up the room and fog machines or whatever. Uh, and then they try to create a sense of, because I, I, and I understand what they do. I'm not knocking them. I'm just trying to say, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a, people a sense of what it's like to have been back in the day when God's glory descended on the temple to such an extent that the priest couldn't even go in and minister because the presence of God was so strong. Man, we'd all like to see that. At least we say we do. But, but I suspect we'd probably be more terrified than anything else. And that's why the priest and nobody went inside there because like, <laughs> I'm not going in there. Um, and then when you put yourself up against God and, you, you know, if you just see him, his holiness would so overwhelm your corruption that you would just, I don't know, just die. But I want to make a proposal to you. That is not the glory of God. The lightning and the thunder and the cloud and the smoke and the fire and all of that. And mountains melting and trembling. That's not the glory of God. God said, I'm going to make all my goodness. The glory of God is God's goodness. That's when he said, I'll make the Lord your God. He declared that kindness, compassion, mercy. Forgiving sins, visiting iniquity, dealing with government, not necessarily his love, but his, but his, his divine government. And God has to do that because even that's motivated by love because there, the books have to be balanced. There has to be justice in the universe. So the books have to be balanced. And so sometimes God, yes, has to visit people and deal with the iniquity of sins. That's going on in a people group or in a particular family, etc. But it's all based on love because he wants to cleanse, he wants to purge. And I believe that's the glory of God. We miss it. We miss it. The glory of God is just what he told Moses. He said, I'll make all my glory pass before you. And all that glory that went before him was his love, his kindness, and his goodness, and his mercy. That was the glory of God. And so the glory of God is seen when we do that, when we're merciful, when we're loving, showing love and kindness. Everything is not the anointing with people falling down on the floor. That's the kind of nice, that, that's, I call that icing on the cake, or whatever, you know. But it's useless if you fall down on the floor and you get up and you're just as mean and, and tankerous and bitter as you've always been. Then nothing was accomplished. But we want to be a people who commit ourselves to God. If I can't love like that, can you impart that to me? In the fifth chapter of Romans, it says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I'm daily asking God to shed his love abroad in my heart through the Holy Spirit. So that I can, because I want to love the way God loves. So I can ref, that way I can reflect to the world what God is like and they can see him. It becomes tangible to them. Not, I never become God, God doesn't become me, but just like God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, the Bible says God has given to us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. Then he says right after that, therefore be you also reconciled to God. And so how does that ministry of reconciliation work? It works when we allow God 
let Christ do in us what God the Father did in him. And we have to be that yielded to him. I know it's a little scary. Listen, I'm not trying to, I'm the first to admit I ain't no great anything. I'm down here just like everybody else trying to forget how this thing works. Um, so I think it's very important. And a lot of times, you know, I, I, I'm just want to see God's glory. I want us to see the church and God's people become mature and move the way God wants us to move. And that takes time. That takes time in prayer. Searching out the scriptures, trying to get the best possible understanding of what God means when he says certain things so that we can deliver to him what he wants to bring honor and praise and glory to his holy name. That should be our priority. So this is just a little teaser, a little wet the appetite. Like I said, I'm just trying to create conversations. I'm not going to answer every question in these podcasts. Uh, and it would just be way too long if we even tried. But hopefully you'll listen to it and you'll go back and say, hmm, you know, he's put me on to something. So I'm just giving you some information. You can take it and start your own study and try to get a sense of what God means when he talks about, he calls us to love. And remember I said the kind of love that he's calling us to is an agape love. That's the type of love the world doesn't see. They see all the others, but they don't see that agape. That unconditional love. So that we can love people. People who don't look like us. People of different ethnicities. And we can still love that person. We can see an individual who's a Muslim. And just show nothing but kindness and love to that person. We can see a, a Mexican. A South a Central American. And show nothing but love and compassion to that individual. We can see our Asian brethren. And show love and compassion. To those individuals. Very important. You know, a lot of things happen and then various ethnic groups get stigma, get a stigma put on them. Oh, they're this way. And I remember I ordered some food from a Chinese restaurant the other day and the guy got to the door to delay me to the delivery and he just looked me in the eye and said, with tears, and he said, thank you. Because I know what he was going through. Right? Just by that one look. And I said, God loves you. And he's concerned about you and your family. These are opportunities, saints, to show the love of God. So we don't disparage people because they're they're of their certain situation, whatever the situation may be. But we just try to show the love of God to everyone as best as we know how. God bless you. And thanks for listening to my podcast. Thank you once again for listening into the Sword and the Spirit. I can be reached at rhyd1 2001 at gmail.com with any comments or questions that you may have. And stay tuned for our next episode, which we will be dealing with Faith That Saves. <laughs>